see the champions, and here they come, taking the field at Stamford Bridge. And only players like Osgood take goals like that. is Chelsea Babel here and we are on our new podcast from the King's Road and I'm delighted to say today I'm joined with our Chelsea editor, Chelsea Babel editor that is Jake Stokes and another one of our Chelsea reporters, Jake Dance. Uh, guys, how are we first of all? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good, thanks, all good. How are you, Jake? A bit frustrated, <laughs> a bit sober after yesterday. I think that's the first thing we've got we want to talk about, isn't it? Um, the FA Cup final yesterday. Um, the first thing personally I wanted to touch on was uh, the importance of the Heads Up sponsorship for the FA Cup final. Prince William, of course, president of the Football Association, drove it through in terms of getting the FA Cup final to be called the Heads Up FA Cup final. Um, First of all, uh, Jake Stokes, this is, I'm referring to, it's going to be difficult with the two Jakes here, Um, but uh, Jake Stokes, first of all, uh, how important do you think it is to have highlighted mental health on such a big stage? I think it's massively important. It's obviously becoming more and more uh, evident how important it is in the, in football, in sport. But they've got to make sure it's not just a trend and people actually know what Heads Up is and how to sort of learn about it. What about you, Jake Dance? What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I think you, it can't be talked about enough. Um, like Jake said there, it's, it's, it's really important to make sure it's not a fad as a lot of things can appear as in football. But with the outreach that like the Premier League has and, and this cup competition has, it's so it, it's a big deal to have these sorts of ideals talked about because um, it, it is something that's been a bit of a problem, um, not just within football culture, but like the, the wider reach, uh, just, just in general about mental health and talking about it. Um, feeling a bit more comfortable about discussing it and just raising awareness for that. Uh, I think it's a huge thing for, for, for it to be sort of highlighted in, in such a big environment. Uh, absolutely. I couldn't agree more in terms of what you chaps have said. Uh, the amount of people that would have been watching the FA Cup final yesterday would have gone into the tens of the millions worldwide, even more so. You would have had an extra 90,000 people that would have probably been at the final had they managed to get tickets if it wasn't behind closed doors that were sat watching it on their telly. And it's really important that we get the message across to people in all walks of life, men, women, children. It's important to talk about your mental health. And it's important to seek help if you need help for your mental health as well. Mm. So uh, it's a very important message that the FA sent across yesterday. Uh, but of course, let's get into the real business, as it were, the football yesterday. Obviously, Mikel Arteta's Arsenal prevailed two goals to one over Lampard, Frank Lampard's Chelsea. Your initial thoughts from the pair of you? Yeah, I'll take this. Um, it, was just, it was just disappointing, really, wasn't it? If you're from a Chelsea fan's perspective. I mean, the first 10, 15 minutes looked very promising. Pulisic, again, amazing. Uh, Carrying on a hot run of form since the restart. But a mixture of, I'd say, sort of sloppiness, slightly weak mentality and and some shocking refereeing decisions really let the side down. And ultimately, Arsenal deserved to win, definitely. They were the better side on the day. But it's it's just, it's got tinges of bad fortune around it and uh, 
makes the result sting a little bit more, I think. Oh, that's spot on for me. I think we started the game really well. I thought we were destined for like something really great when we scored within, what was it, five minutes? Then after that water break, I just feel it. We were a lot slower. It was a bit mediocre. and That was a, the turning point, wasn't yeah, it, really? It seemed literally. like as soon as Arteta got a word with his squad and, and said to attack that massive empty channel um, over by Azpilicueta where Reese James was pushing up so far forward, it was just they just kept trying that ball over and over and over again and they were almost getting success on every try. Yeah, I think it was that... Uh, it was the water break that I think changed the game, wasn't it? I think you've got to give credit to Arteta for sort of spotting that weakness. And then that obviously led to their penalty as well. And then Aspilicueta again injured, which you could argue is from the amount of times he had to sprint down the channel. But Let's talk about the water break in general then. And in terms of how good do you feel it has been for football since the restart? Just slightly moving away from the FA Cup final of sorts. Do you think it's been a positive or a negative in general for the game? Personally, I think for managers, if you're if it's a tight game or you're in a losing position, I think for managers it's been a revelation. They can like Arteta, you can make little changes and like communicate tactics better. But I think as for the game as a whole, and personally I don't think it's something I want to see in the game next season. I think it's something that should just have been should just stay as a nineteen twenty season. Sort of thing, personally. I quite like it personally. Like I, I, the fact it's like turned it into a game in four quarters is just. It's a bit more. It's sort of tactically interesting, um, if it, especially for a neutral. If you're just watching a football game, because it's sort of preventing games from going stale. Um, that alongside the the new substitutes rule, getting like fresh more fresh legs on the on the pitch, it just it just seems to be making games a bit more interesting. And and having if if you do have a good manager that's that's analysing constantly and wanting to make these little changes and having these discussions in terms of football as a spectacle I think it's it's a really good thing for the game um, I don't I personally I don't see many disadvantages to it, it, it changing obviously what the game was um, but it's an interesting development if anything Do you think then uh, in terms of that tactics side of things do you think we would have noticed tactical changes or tactical tweaks as much from managers if it hadn't been for the fact we go we as the spectator are going what are they saying to their teams now what are they going to implement at this point and even the commentators think about that as well in their commentary they say oh the players are heading off for a water break what are the managers going to do now to get themselves back in the game or get a foothold back in the game before the end of the first half or the end of the second half and get a goal or find that cutting edge between now and the break yeah I definitely think it's a lot more under the spotlight, um, managers changing the tactics at water breaks. Probably a mix between commentators trying to fill sort of a bit of a silence, a bit of a break in between games. Mm. But, I mean, personally, I think the water break slows down games. Um, obviously not in all, locate, in all circumstances, but you obviously have quarterly breaks, don't you, in, in basketball. So maybe once teams get used to it, you might see higher intensity football. That's the thing, I think because of the way that football is changing and how high intensity it is, it's, all, it's so much about pressing now um, that, that maybe it is a way of changing it so that you know, teams can last this. I mean, it wasn't so long ago. They were talking about reducing the half times and things um, to, to get it sort of 
it's, it's like a fitness thing. It's obviously there's fixture congestions and things now and everything. Um, I just think it's it's a really interesting way for football to go. If it does continue in that way, who knows like what happens if they do continue into next season? Um, if it is seen as a good thing, but obviously we just got to wait. Time will tell and see how it affects football as a whole over a long period of time. My personal opinion is of that of Jake Stokes in the sense that it isn't overall good for the game, but you do understand a lot more. Uh, you are more aware of the tactical changes that managers will make. Uh, the FA Cup final again, let's go back to that. Um, an unfortunate defeat for our Blues, of course. Um, Frank Lampard spoke about complacency in his post-match with uh, Chelsea's in-house press call. Uh, what do we think about that, boys, in terms of were the team complacent when we took the lead and did we perhaps get complacent at the situation we found ourselves in at times as well with Pulisic, Aspilicueta and Pedro all coming off injured as well? I think we I think you were a little bit complacent, but I think also when you look at Arsenal and how they adapted, going to going back to the water break, I think we weren't almost clever enough to almost presume that they were going to change something. But I think that Especially seeing like the spaces down the middle, I think we should have realised that they were going to change something and not wait for it to happen. Be a bit more on the ball rather than wait for something to happen. Anticipated the tactical change rather than uh, waiting for Arteta to make that change. Lampard should have shored things up if he'd seen the gap as well. He should have been analysing things completely as well. Yeah, I think he should have been just a little bit more proactive, but then again, stuff like this happens and maybe it's just all part of his learning process. It's only the second year in management, isn't it? So. Yeah, the thing is, Lampard said in his press conference that they trained for that eventuality in the week. Like He drilled it into them that with Aubameyang's pace and the behind line they were pressing, that they were going to attack those spaces and they needed to make sure that wasn't happening. It's almost as if it's just players maybe not reacting to those talks or... Uh, like I said, it's been a, such a common theme this season of the complacency issue and, and going a goal up and thinking that's fine, not really drilling it in and trying to get a second or, or just sort of failing to. And then we get punished for it. Um, and it's happened again. Um, I don't know if that's a, a, a problem with the coaching, what they're being told, or the mentality in the players. It's a young squad. I mean, what, what are your thoughts? My thoughts, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult. To, it's, it's only, what, 12 hours on and I'm still quite slightly baffled as to how easy it seemed for Arsenal in the end. Uh, the fast start, of course, made by the team was brilliant. Pulisic's goal, by the way, fantastic build-up and a fantastic finish. And it was, mm. it was almost like it was written for him to score the first goal in that final because of how well he has played since the resumption of top-flight football. Um, however... Arteta was more uh, proactive in terms of the tactical changes that he made and he found our weaknesses and fair play to him. He, I, I think, unfortunately, we're going to be seeing an Arsenal side that is going to be more and more competitive over the years to come because they've got Mikel Arteta in charge. Mm. I feel like they need to have a more financial backing. I've seen so many rumours this week about them being linked with Thomas Partey and obviously fair play, but they're not willing to go out and spend big money then I think it's going to be hard for Arteta to compete. There's only so much especially, he can do. Especially if they lose to Bamiyang. like He's been their top scorer for since he's come in. Um, and there seems to be like some sort of stalemate on renewing his contract. Um, and it's just, why wouldn't you throw everything you have at securing what, is, what is, who has been the, their best player 
for, since he since he's signed for them. Yeah, I think you know, they might struggle without him because obviously Lacazette's getting on a little bit and Ketia's just breaking into his stride. But we'll see if Ketia could surprise us. Yeah, definitely. And I don't, well, Lacazette, I don't think has lived up to the hype that followed him when he came in either. Like you said, I think Arteta's done a really good job since he's come in and he's obviously got ideas um, and it's working for them. Uh, like you said, I think if, if, if he can get backed up with that, then that's a, that's a really dangerous prospect for the next few seasons. The difficulty I think Arsenal have is the sense that their owner, Stan Kroenke, isn't prepared to put the money in like Jake has alluded to. He uses Arsenal as a cash cow. Arsenal run at profit every single season and a big profit at that because of all the commercial side of things that they operate and in, and the brand that they have developed, the Arsenal brand. Fair play to them, it's fantastic. But to win trophies, you're sometimes going to have to bite the bullet. Arsenal still, probably, to be challenging for the Premier League, need to spend £200 million. That's what they have to do. They need to bring in certain players in certain areas to get themselves further up the table. The same with Chelsea. I think we need to spend maybe even more than that because we need two quality centre-halves in there that are going to stop the barrage of goals that we've been conceding in the past 12 months under Lampard. But looking at it overall, I think both sides are probably in the same position that they're they're in transition. What, what do you guys think? I think definitely with Chelsea's defence. I think the potential is there like sort of Zuma, Christensen, but I just feel like oh, our centre-backs can be so inconsistent. Like you look when Christensen came on, I think he was... He was solid, he was decent, he made a good challenge leading up to their goal. But prior to that, Rudiger just dived in and completely missed the ball. And it just mm. makes you think like we can ha- they can perform well, but they're just inconsistent. I think Zuma deserves a lot more credit than he's had this season. I think he's been our best centre back. Yeah. Um when every time he's played, like his commitment. Uh that I mean um that last ditch sliding tackle he made. Um, I can't remember which game. Oh, was it uh, Palace? Crystal Palace away. Yes, yeah. that was unbelievable. And that is that's the zoom where I remember coming in and, and like seeing those insanely athletic sliding challenges that he, he just tips the ball away. Mm. Um, but even then, his strength, his pace, it, like he was he was making runs into the the final third yesterday. It, it's just um, I think he's been our best centre back, and I'd be happy to see him like paired alongside someone world class next season because I think he could definitely do do the job there. Um, I think our our main, I, I have a massive problem with our left back position. I was I was speaking before the show about Alonso's repetitiveness and how he plays. He's just not been good enough. Even if in his favourite wing back position, he just he's so negative and he's just constantly looking to pass back to the uh, the central defenders. I just feel like that's that's a problem area that needs to be addressed. Do you think it's maybe the way teams set up against Alonso now because he used to be so good at playing an incisive pass into the midfield third that they that they cut it off for him now and force him to play that pass back across? I don't know. I, I, it, it didn't seem like he was under much. It, was, it wasn't like he was being pressed out of it. Um, he just seems like uh, in, in every game I've watched recently with him, he does the same movement. Um, I, I don't know if it's a confidence thing. He still gets forward, and there was a, there was a chance for him where he didn't expect the ball to drop down to him, where he could have even may potentially scored yesterday. But I don't know. I, th- I think we we've been missing that left back position for years now. We've never been able to fill the void that Ashley Cole left. Mm. Um, so yeah, it just I, th- I think that's such a key area for to strengthen him. I definitely think he's 
when he first played left wing back under Conte, do you mm. think like the amount of like technical players he had around him, he had like Hazard, even Pedro in that front three that he could zip a ball into and you'd know their turn with it. You'd have mm. Fabregas in the middle who could control a ball and then ping it. Whereas now yeah. probably don't have so much of that technical quality. Obviously still a half decent left wing back, but you want him to have his own rely on his own ability and not others all the time. Yeah. And it just just need to get back to that level of just having like a, a world class lineup. Like it it's it, it has gone like you say, he's, he's a dec- he's a half decent wing back. He's not but he's not like when we're after Alexandro and like the the talent he had and, and just you look at some of the left backs in the league, it's just mm. he doesn't rank amongst them. And if we want to challenge for titles again, that's what we need to head for. Yeah. Look at all the best teams in the world. Their left backs and right backs are up there with the best in the world, aren't they? Yeah. They're not whole decent so left important. backs and right backs. They're so important now. Look at Trent Alexander and Andrew Robertson at, at, at Liverpool, like the, the assists that, that, that they contribute towards. And, and like half the reason, I mean, City are struggling with a left back as well. They they're undecided on who to, who to put best there, really. Mm. And maybe that's the difference between the two top teams. Like the, it's just it is that that defensive line. Yeah, they they just have to contribute towards attack and defence now, and that's why they have to be so so good as football players. One of you alluded to uh, Jorginho earlier. Uh, let's talk about him uh, quickly, if we can. Uh, he's been linked with a move out of SW6 and to possibly join former manager Maurizio Sarri in Turin at Juventus. Uh, what do we think, boys? Do we think, uh, are we Jorginho in, Jorginho out? He's obviously got talent and ability, but I think um, in a very specific system, as we all know, he has always worked well in that register role for Sarri. And, you know, I, I, I don't mind him as a, as a person either. Like, he's 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 got his head down, he's worked, and he hasn't gone out to the media and complained or anything like that. He's just He's just happy playing for Chelsea and he, he will fight for his place um, but I just think there can be better options that we can use there um, like I don't I think if Kante was fit it would be a midfield two of Kante and Kovacic it wouldn't be Jorginho um, and if Billy Gilmore was fit he was being preferred preferred over him um, and just don't, I just don't see him in Lampard's plans and with the, the players that he is searching for and the system he wants to play I fully trust in, in the transfers he wants to make so if, if he needs to go to make room for a Kai Havertz um, or, or equivalent, then you know, so be it. Mm. Yeah, personally, I started to really like Jorginho at the start of um, mm. Lampard's tenure. I thought he was really good. On the ball, he was fantastic. You could see in games, he'd, he'd control games. His first-time passes, I think it was Abraham against Watford, maybe. That first-time pass straight to Abraham was class. But yes. I think... As Lampard's started to implement his play style more and more, he's looking for like a more agile midfield. And I can just see Jorginho slowly getting pushed out of that. As good it as he is, I can't see him staying. It's the way he moves, isn't it, on the yeah. ball, I think. He, he seems very robotic and very static. He can, he can play a really lovely pass, and he can with his passing dictate the tempo of a game. And it's really useful at times to have a midfielder like that. However, I think Jorginho, if he is to stay at Chelsea which may or may not happen. We don't know what's going to happen in the next eight weeks or so with incomings and outgoings, etc. If he is to stay, he will be very much a bit part player because he will be used in those final 20 minutes to come on and slow a game down. A bit like Mikel was used in his last 
four or five years at Chelsea. Yeah, I think we've seen that as well. Like when we had a bit midfield, that's exactly what he was being used for, just to slow the tempo down and secure a win. Um, like I say, I just think he, he looks so much better in a, in a three sitting behind the two sort of number eights um, as opposed to anything else. And I think really that is a system that Lampard wants to play when he has the players. I yeah. can see him wanting to play either a 4 3 3 or 4 2 3 1. But um, like I say, I think if that does change and, and we do get a world class midfielder in, it'll definitely be Jorginho dropping off because if can't. Hopefully we can keep hold of Kante when he's fit um, because uh, he's he's been a difference maker this season as well. And it, I was gutted when he wasn't fit enough to start mm. or even sort of start or, or be fielded in the game against Arsenal. Yeah, when you you, you also got to look at um, when we had Fabregas under Conte, he was sort of a bit player, bit part player there. Mm. Obviously, a bit similar to Giorgio, not as mobile, not as quick, but technically unbelievable. Yeah. And he sort of still forced his way into the team, he got his head down, worked hard and became one of Chelsea's best midfielders that season. So, you never know, Jorginho could knuckle down and sort of yeah. do a Fabregas, you never know. Like I say, you can't fault his attitude, he has been fantastic and yeah. there's a reason he's vice-captain of the club already. Um, uh, and he did. He won the fans over because that, that torrid season under Sarri and because of the association with the manager, he got a lot of stick for, for and for being a good player as well under the, in that system. Um I, 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 as a fan, I respect him a lot, and um, uh, yeah, if he does go, I wish him all the best. And if he does stay, I, I wouldn't bemoan it. Like, um, it's it's just one of those things. Um, personally, I'm just excited about next season at this point. I think we've got to look forward to next season, haven't we? We've got um, a big tie next week, though. Uh, to, well, I guess Dredd will look forward to it, depending on which way you're looking at it. Aspilicueta, Pulisic, Kante. And Pedro, none of them will be available for the tie away in Munich next week against Bayern Munich. We've also got a 3-0 deficit to overturn. Is it a case of maybe trying to not lose the game rather than trying to win the tie overall? Personally, I think we've got to just throw everything at it. You've got nothing to lose. Um, Maybe see Lampard experiment with two strikers up front. Got nothing to lose, why not? Um, I think we've just got to throw everything at it personally. But like you said... You don't want to embarrass yourselves and have another three nil, four nil defeat, do you? So, I think it has to be two strikers up top because we have no wingers. We've got Hudson Odoi fit, um, and then we, like you say, Pulisic is out, uh, Pedro's out, William brought himself out for the, the the cup final. So, yeah, we've just we've not really got enough in the wide areas now, and, and I wouldn't be surprised if he. Does like you say, try two strikers with uh, Tammy and Giroud, both in form, by the way. It's not like Tammy Abraham, Tammy Abraham's dropped off a little bit, but he's still fighting for his place. And people forget he's scored 15 goals in his first Premier League season for us. Like, so he, like you said, I'm, I'm with Jake, we just got to throw everything forward for this one. And, and there's no pressure on the club or us as fans to expect to win on this one. So I'll be happy just watching us at least give it a go. Yeah, definitely. And like you said with Abraham, if you had said at the start of the season he would score 15 goals and would it like four assists or something, nearly 20 goal contributions in his first season mm-hmm. after playing last season in the Championship, I'd be well happy with that personally. But Yeah, like people can't be quick to forget on that. He has been so instrumental to, to our early season form um, and just how good he was at it, playing as sort of like a poacher. 
Um, uh, I think it's quick to forget, uh, especially when, when we did restart and Pulisic was in such good form and uh, getting shouts of player of the season. Uh, Tommy Abraham has been influential um, over the longer part of the season, I'd say. Let's look at Lampard's season overall now, fellas, if we don't mind. Uh, if we can think back to our school days, uh, let's give it a grade overall between the three of us and let's think of reasons why. Uh, personally, yeah. let me let me kick you yeah, off. Give your I'd, contribution. I'd, 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 pers- I'd personally say, let's say B+. Plus. Good, but it could have been a bit better. Yeah, I mean, I think if you compare that against what was expected with uh, a lot of... I mean, uh, how many pundits predicted that... Chelsea were going to be in the top four. I think it was about three out of God knows how many. Yeah, I think it was one from the BBC Sport column yeah. earlier in the season, wasn't it? And yeah. I think that was actually... Who was it? I think it, it was, might have been was... Rude Hullet, I think. Yeah, yeah I no, it was Rude Hullet, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, it was, um, it was definitely someone who knew what Lampard was about and what yeah. Chelsea were about. To be honest, with, with, my, with my probably um, pre-season feeling of dread of not knowing what was going to happen, I'd give him an A for what he's done in the circumstances because no one expected this. Um, uh, I mean, you can talk about the transfer ban. Yes, we did have players come back from loan. We did have player, uh, a Pulisic bought in January coming in on that summer. So it was like having a new signing. We signed Kovacic permanently. But we did not do the business we, we would have wanted to have done with all our, our opponents sort of strengthening around us. Um, yes, there were things that probably could have been done a little bit better, but he's new, his second year in management, uh, first year in the Premier League, securing Champions League football with a, probably our youngest side for for probably ever, to be fair. Um, youngest side probably since Jose Mourinho was there, but that yes. young side was already players that were around across Europe. Yeah, and also obviously losing Hazard. I mean... Uh, Pulisic has, has come in and, and sort of filled that role in this last stage of the season. It's just, just phenomenal how well uh, Chelsea have actually done this season. But um, yeah, for me it's an A um, and I can't wait to see what he does next. Yeah, like, like Jake said, I think I'd probably give an A or something as well because if you think at the start of the season when we started playing the likes of Mason Mount, he hadn't, he hadn't played Premier League before. He had only just finished his first season in the Championship. Yeah, he was in Eredivisie as well. So if you think the amount of like even Tamori as well, he came in and proved himself a Premier League player with loads more potential. I think he's completely outdone himself, personally. When you look at the other teams around him, like Tottenham, their team at the start of the season, you would argue it's better than Chelsea's. Even Arsenal as well, I think he's outdone himself massively. Everyone thought that Tottenham would be third or even sometimes second. Yeah. And they've they've ended up celebrating a Europa League qualification spot like they've won the Premier League. No, yeah, definitely. You look at their their front three at the start of the season compared to ours. Um, mm. When you when we had Pulisic out and we sort of, like can't take anything away from Tammy, obviously, but when you've got Harry Kane, it's usually a twenty to thirty goal a season man compared to a, a newly introduced former Championship striker. Uh, uh, early 30s Olivier Giroud and a Mitchy Batshuayi that hasn't yeah. played barely any games this season. Not only that, they strengthened in January with like Bergwijn coming in, mm. and it was just it, it's like for us to uh, to perform that well. Um, I think it's just the fact it was against all odds, and everyone loves an underdog, so people actually started to like Chelsea as opposed to the years of hate they've had over the years. So it's uh, been quite a nice environment to be in. 
Yeah, it has actually, isn't it? It's we're now apparently a likable Chelsea, which um, you wouldn't have thought to hear about five or six years ago. The point you make about Tammy Abraham is really interesting, because I myself didn't think Tammy had what it would take to become a leading Chelsea striker, or a leading Chelsea top scorer, or marksman, or whatever you want to call it. But he has really proved his worth this season, and to be fair to him, at times he looked brilliant, at times he looked gangly, unfortunately, but. <laughs> It's it, it's it's just the way he plays, and you know he's got a really good finish on him, and is a real imposing presence in the final third as well. Can't fault his uh, like application and effort either ever because the passion he shows. He, like if someone else in the team scores a goal, he celebrates it like he's just scored it. If he misses a chance, he's thumping the floor and screaming, um, and that's what you want from a striker. And it's sort of it's not it's not something we've seen in the team for a while because it's sort of just been there's been a lot of passengers in the squad, so. That's what's been nice seeing the youth come through it as well. Mm. It's like just how much they care for the club and obviously as fans of the club, that's what you want to relate to. Yeah, I'm just worried for next season where he finds a place in the team because you've got Timo Werner coming in. Lampard said that he's going to be his main striker. Mm. Um, you've got that leaves you with then Tammy and Giroud, bearing in mind that, say, Mitchie Batshuayi leaves, which is likely. If you're in the last 20, 30 minutes of a game and you need a goal, are you going to bring on Giroud? Tommy Abraham personally well, I'd take Giroud yeah I mean but this is why I'm intrigued about like you say maybe experimenting with a two-striker system which he did in pre-season as well because Timo Werner, Werner also works very well working off of a target man I think he did it with uh, was it Paulson um, uh, Leipzig um, and uh, someone like Giroud obviously is perfect for that yeah. but it's, it's definitely a mould that I think Tommy could fit with, with his height he isn't, he's not weak Um Yes, he's known for being a poacher and he's a bit more mobile, but that's de- I feel like it's definitely something that can be brought into his game. And like I say, with us starting to lack wingers and focusing really on creative midfielders, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see a system that does come through the middle and support two strikers with maybe attacking mid in behind and two number eights behind that. Mm. I definitely think Tammy has the potential to mould his game into a, a Giroud-type target man. And I've seen an all-round striker, obviously, but... I think Tammy does have the potential to mould his game. Mm, definitely. Yeah, he's adaptable. And, and a lot of our youth players have shown that um, this season, I think, especially Mason Mount, who was in with a shout for a player of the season, uh, who only missed one game throughout the whole thing. Um, I think there's still a lot of problems there. And people, it's like, for me, with Mason Mount, I don't think of him as a youth player anymore. He's just part of the squad. Same for Reese James, he's in every week. Like it's just yeah. that is our right back. That's our that's our centre mid or sometimes right winger now. Yeah. Um I think that again that's what's been really important to me is youth players have come in but some have completely cemented cemented their place in the side. Yeah, you sort when you when you, you're like an hour before kickoff and you're you're thinking, oh who do I want to cite? Personally I I instantly think especially yesterday, I was like I want I want Reese James, I want Mason Mount, I want Pulisic. Yeah. I want those three players in my team to start with. Definitely. And like when, when those are your key players, you know that they're doing well with blood and youth there. Um, and that's something, as Chelsea fans, we probably haven't seen for a very, very long time. Um, uh, so it's, it's, it's just so nice to see it finally happening for us with the talent that we've got at the club. Uh, the academy has been a strong asset for Chelsea over the years and to see it finally produce results and big results at that, particularly with... Tammy, uh, Mason and Reese James this season and well Billy Gilmore as well it's um, it's yeah. fantastic to watch 
Uh, also, going on to your um, comment in terms of the two strikers, Timo Werner and Tammy Abraham up front next season, that could be a special partnership, couldn't it? Especially if you use Timo Werner's pace to get in behind and, and Tammy arriving late, a bit later as a poacher, that, that could be a really good com- combination. Um, I just, yeah, I'm, like I say, I'm very excited for next season, the, the talent that is coming in and the ambition the club is showing with that. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. If you think the amount of goals Werner scored, uh, this season in the Bundesliga and then Tammy's nearly 20 goal contributions as well. We think you've got Ziyech coming in with his added creativity. I think we've created like third or fourth most chances in the Premier League this season. Yeah. If you add those goals to it, add more creativity, surely we're going to be scoring loads. Also something to recognise as well in terms of the youth setup. Uh, one of the coaches of the youth teams more recently and was in fact an assistant coach of Frank Lampard's earlier on in the season before he got stap- snapped up by Trabzon Sport. Eddie Newton, mm. former Chelsea defender, has uh, won himself a Turkish Cup. That's yes. all right, isn't it? Yeah, I did see that. And it just shows you the quality that we have at the, have at the club in terms of the coaching, the youth, the youth coaching and things like that. Um, for, for him to go out and get a job in a, in, a, in a very hard league that's usually quite well dominated by the, the bigger clubs such as sort of Galatasaray and Fenerbahce, that's that's an achievement, and mm. um, I'm obviously well. <laughs> it's also good to see a English manager going abroad and winning a trophy, or mm. player or yeah, manager, absolutely. or a British in that in that respect as well. Because you very rarely do you see an English player or manager go abroad and actually be able to communicate their ideas and then prove to be successful. And dare I add, amongst everything. Uh, with the whole Black Lives Matter uh, protests, etc. It's nice to see an English manager of the BAME community mm. su- succeed abroad as well. I, th- I think that's an important thing that we can recognise at this point. For good old Eddie, of course, he won a Champions League and NFA Cup title with the Blues as a coach under Roberto Di Matteo as well. And um, no, we wish Eddie all the best. And maybe in a year or so, let's see if he can come back to us as well. Um Let's move on now. Uh, we've talked about Lampard's season in general. We've talked about the Champions League tie coming up. We've also reflected on what was a disappointing day yesterday for us as uh, Chelsea supporters. Let's focus on those new signings then that we've already alluded to. Timo Werner and Hakim Ziyech. First of all, Timo Werner. Fantastic goal-scoring record in the Bundesliga for the past couple of seasons. And he could go on to be a world-class attacker. I'm I'm really looking forward to Werner um, playing next season. Uh, I saw a video yesterday uh, just before the kickoff at Wembley. He was in like the, the so-called like main group with the likes of Tammy Abraham, Rhys James. I think he's settling well, um, and I'd love to see him score a few goals for us. So I'm really excited. Yeah, he seems to have a fantastic um, attitude to match his talent as well. From all the interviews he's done, um, speaks really well about. Uh, what he wants to do at Chelsea, I think he even alluded that um, he doesn't. He wants to sort of become a legend of this era. He doesn't want to be a player that's played for us before. He doesn't want to be the next Drogba or, or the, the next Hazard. He wants to be um, sort of this era's legend. So it's just very exciting that he's got this belief in himself. Whilst all, he also remains quite humble about it as well. Um, and uh, same for Ziyech as well. Uh, he, he seems quite quite timid but obviously shows a lot of passion and arrogance when it's needed like when he pinged in an impossible angle free kick against us at the bridge yeah that was quite um, a few, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, 
and just reacted like yeah that was um, <laughs> that was a bit ridiculous uh, I was at that game behind the bench as well and you could just see Lampard and Jody Morris look at each other as if to say what in God's name was that that was just ridiculous um, yeah, a, bit, a little bit flappy but, from Keffa but <laughs> well, yeah but well we can get onto that in a minute if you want the, the Keffa situation uh, because that in itself is a bit farcical at this moment in time because the Spanish goalkeeper or the Spaniard as we're all referring to him at the moment in our articles, um, isn't quite good enough, I don't think, anyway. Um, but also, looking at the two players, it's really important that they believe into the uh, in the project that they're coming into. And I think mm. the project that Lampard has set out for them effectively got the deals over the line. Mm. Especially with um, Lampard's pull power, I think. If he can have that sort of pull power already, like who knows how motivated motivate they are to Form under him, so he can attract that sort of player already. But we know already from seeing in the media how he how he interacts and how he speaks about football. It's um, he's very honest. And he's clearly quite intelligent about all of it. Um, and I think if he seems to be very personable with the players, and like say players bringing Bernard said himself that Lampard was the main reason he's come to Chelsea is because he talked to him about the system, how he's going to fit in the system. Uh, and like the project, what, what's going forwards, I think that probably worked with ZH as well. There were chats with him, and if this Kai Havertz still does go over the line, I think he, he again he's going to be a key influence within that, because by the sounds of it, there's already been interactions between him alongside Petr Cech, uh, and deals being agreed with the player himself. So I think he's he has been such a pull for getting these world class talents back at Chelsea, and I wouldn't be surprised if if the message is. We want to build what we had before. Mm. Especially when you see reports saying that Bayern were looking at Havertz, Real Madrid are looking at Havertz, but they want to wait a season. They want to sign him next season. And yeah. Havertz is thinking, well, I can go to Lampard now rather than wait for one of the top two big boys. Yeah. That sort of just shows how how powerful Lampard is, I think. I think so, definitely. If you can have that pull over any any club like such as Bayern, Real Madrid, Barcelona, any of the big boys. It's just, he's definitely got gift of the gab. Absolutely. Um, also, talking about uh, transfer rumours, uh, we would have seen a few posts up on uh, Vavil, the website from our department, talking about transfer rumours. It's also been rumoured via uh, an outlet in Germany, uh, who I cannot remember the name of now, um, God help me, uh, that Marina, bless her, the woman that we all love, has been uh, engaging in some espionage, trying to get the Havertz deal over the line, speaking to people on how best to get the deal done, and uh, what amount she should actually be paying for a player from the Bundesliga. I think she's one of the most powerful negotiators in football, I think. Some of the work she's done, obviously, bar a few uh, debatable transfers with £35 million for Danny Drinkwater. <laughs> but apart from stuff like that, I think she's her negotiating is unbelievable some of the deals she's getting is incredible yeah she's known as being a very tough negotiator isn't she i think it was it build that did the um article on yes it was yeah Yeah, that that rings a bell now like one of the toughest negotiators in 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 football and i mean i mean some of the sales she's got us as well like Mm. the the money for Murata getting that back that was incredible money for hazard as well money for hazard with all the add-ons like then within the league giving us a little bit extra money as well for someone that was on the last year of his contract it's been uh, yeah I mean that, that that there's a reason that she was employed at the club and, and yeah, yeah. That, there's a reason that we're making these really good deals and, and not getting in financial trouble 
um, even though that doesn't apparently matter anymore. <laughs> and he, he, well, yeah, and even with Marina being in the headlines of the news, that's credit to her as well. Mm. Surely she's the most powerful uh, figure in when it comes to the transfers in the transfer market. Because who else yeah. is there hitting the headlines to do with negotiating? You're completely right there. And like the last person to do it was when Emanalo was there, but. Um, yeah, like um, there was a bit of a gap, and we started some questionable signings like Michael Hector and Matt Miazga. Yeah, uh, but um, yeah, it's all it all seems to be coming good. I now. remember Papa Dijaboji. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. The <laughs> on the last day of the transfer window. We, we all we always had some interesting ones, didn't we? It was it was absolutely ridiculous from a supporter's point of view. Because we looked at these signings, we were like, oh, we've made a couple of great signings, brilliant. And then the last day, oh, you've signed Matt Miazga. Who? Sorry, who, who is he? he? Oh, brilliant. Oh, he's a centre-half, is he? Is he any good? Not really, mate. He's probably going to play in your under-23s. Oh, great. Great, great stuff. Don't put it on the news, then. There isn't news. No one cares. Um, but in the grand scheme of things, um, looking at the overall setup and what Abramovich has put in place, Czech now as technical director, there's a clear link there between the first team and the board, with Lampard there as well. He has a good relationship with the owner. I, I can't imagine him ever getting off the phone from Abramovich, let alone not getting a call for him, because I can imagine they probably share a pretty special relationship. I think the club is the most connected it's been from grassroots to uh, top of the, to Roman Abramovich personally. I think the amount of work Chelsea do at youth level all the way up to the first team, the, uh, the women's team, is incredible. I think it's the most connected we've been in a while, especially after last season with Sarri and a almost like 50-50 split with the fans. Yeah, I think it's the most connected we've been. Definitely. I think even the, those, the managers, Conte, sorry, um, spoke about the disconnect with transfers, like them clearly wanting players and just, just not even entertaining it. That seems to have completely changed this season with Lampard definitely being very directly involved with that. And I think that link of Petr coming in as technical director has been a large responsibility of that. Um and like you say, the link with the the, the youth um, and the, the women's clubs as well, the media team that we have that promote all that, it, mm. it just seems a lot more cohesive. So everything's working together a lot better. Um, and I think that's why it, it hasn't, like, even though we've had very up and down results and like performances have been very up and down, it hasn't felt like a torrid season. It's felt very together. Um, and that's been very important as a fan, I think. You've never worried about anybody leaving or big headlines coming out because you realise the group is very much, again, choose your word, cohesive in their drive forward. They want to keep going together as a group and nobody actually wants to leave that group because it seems so positive at the moment. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've got, got to give credit to Abramovich of how he's, put, he's funding every inch of Chelsea Football Club. It's like... We had an article up the other day from Adam Millington, the women's uh, Babel editor, Erin Cuthbert, a three-year contract. Yeah, Obviously, that's Bethany. become more evident in the women's game, but a three-year contract in a women's game yeah. is massive, I think. Beth, yeah, Beth a lot of financial had, security. Beth England had the same as well, didn't she? A yeah. long-term contract, um, and it just shows the dedication to the club as a whole, which, again, is very important. Um, that As the women's game gets more sort of uh, the the viewership it deserves really um, and yeah I think that's important going forwards is, is promoting all parts of Chelsea Let's touch on the women's side then uh, 
the Blues women's boss, Emma Hayes, uh, coming off the back of birth to a set of twins, I believe it was. I could be wrong. Um, won herself the uh, FAWSL Manager of the Year. How, how big will that be for her? And how really integral has she been to the success of the women's side over the past few years? I think she's... Uh, I mean, I think she takes it in her stride. It's, it's, uh, after seeing her for a few seasons now, I think it's sort of expected of her. She's really good. She's a fantastic manager. Um, and she holds such an authority over football and talks about it so well. Um, I mean, we've had, been lucky and had a chance to interview her when we were at the Women's World Cup ourselves. And, and she's just... The way she holds herself and the way she talks about football... It's so good um, to, uh, for for her to be talked about in the fact that um, she could manage anywhere. Really, I mean, people were calling um, for her for the England women, so the lionesses. They were calling for her to take over that, uh, and there were shouts of when we had no manager for her to come in as Chelsea boss. So no, yeah, she that. was a, a she was at drastically short odds for mm. a women's manager coming into a man's for into the men's side of football. To, to take over and I think the only person maybe kept her from doing that was the fact that Lampard was <laughs> waiting and available. I'm sorry, yeah. I think she's an incredible manager. Just looking here, being at Chelsea eight years with a 57% win rate. It's crazy. Incre- it? like, to, every, no matter what level of the game you're at, to be somewhere to keep motivated, to keep motivated for eight years is incredible. I think you look at like Alex Ferguson and Wenger who and even Eddie Howe like, have sustained been at a club for such a sustained period of time and won trophies. Mm. Emma Hayes is up there. She's literally been incredible, I think. Definitely. They run up they run undefeated last season. Um uh when unfortunately obviously Corona cut it short, but it um they were given because they were a goal uh, a game behind, they were given the uh, uh the title. Um but they didn't lose a game. Um and I think the project they're trying to build as well, they are trying to start competing um, with the top clubs in Europe, so the likes of like Leon, uh, obviously hugely up there being the highest paid. Um, but they are signing big players, giving long-term deals to their best players. Um, and their pull is, is much like the men's side, where they are getting these world-class players in. Um, and uh, yeah, they're going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. I reckon. Mm. I don't think it'll be too long until Emma Hayes gets her hands on a Champions League trophy with Chelsea. Personally, definitely, that'd be lovely to see. No, yeah, that would be lovely to see, and hopefully, we can continue to cover Emma Hayes and her side over the next few years. And hopefully, she remains the Blues boss for a long time to come because she is definitely one in a million in terms of the women's managers that you can get in the game. Um, oh, gents, to finally. Uh, wrap things up kind of thing um let's finish with uh any funny lockdown stories that we've got so obviously we've been in lockdown here in the united kingdom for the last three months or so we're gradually getting back to normal as it were whatever the new normal is have there been any um interesting tales from you two in lockdown i've got a few little stories but so i work at a part-time a little retail a retail store near where i live I've had a few famous faces uh, come into my, well not my, into the retail uh, chain that I work at. I won't disclose what names, but <laughs> some could say there could be a Chelsea captain and a 
former England international that is about six foot seven, but I won't Ooh. say anymore. <laughs> so basically, you had Aspel Equator and Peter Crouch coming to the school, <laughs> and, and and a few others, but I won't, I won't mention any others. <laughs> what about you, I've Jake got, Dance? I've got nothing. <laughs> I've literally uh, been furloughed from my uh, from my work. Since it started, I'm still furloughed now, and I'm just waiting to get back and uh, start covering more football again in the, the women's game and more. So, uh, yeah, I've just sort of wait to get back to work. I've been editing a few videos now and then, but I, there's been nothing going on here. How, how's that been? Let, let's talk from kind of a relatable point of view. Uh, mm. Obviously, loads of people up and down the UK, particularly in your industry that you work in, which is hospitality, I believe you said before the recording. Um, how mm. has it been kind of not having that motivation, I guess, to get up and get going in the day? Dull. <laughs> it's dull. It's very dull. Um, and I think we talked about mental health earlier. Obviously, it's so important to try and keep try and remain positive it's very hard because like, there's no routine um there's not much going on and they're, they're like there's just no purpose <laughs> at the moment uh, until i can get back to uni and and carry on with, with how busy i was last year um so yeah it's difficult uh but it's just important that i've had people around me that are very supportive um and uh, sort of drive me on that way so i think having my friends my family my girlfriend uh, that sort of thing is, uh, is has been super important for myself, and it's definitely important to talk about how you're feeling, and and um, it's very important to vent about how it affects you. So, yeah, I couldn't recommend that enough personally. Exactly. So we've covered all sorts today. We've covered the FA Cup sponsorship, the heads up FA Cup final, the result yesterday for our Blues losing two one to Mikel Arteta's Arsenal. We talked transfers. We talked Frank Lampard's season in general. We've even talked funny lockdown stories. This has been the first episode of the new podcast here from Chelsea Vavel from the King's Road. Nearly forgot the name of it then. Well, that, that, that would have been useful, wouldn't it? <laughs> Good but uh, Jake Stokes and Jake Dance. Uh, Jake Stokes, our Chelsea uh, Vavel editor, and Jake Dance, another one of our fellow reporters. Superb to have you with me today. My name's been Niall Jackson. And, uh, well, we'll see you next week. Cheers. See you Bye. later. In a bit. Like Osgood, take gold!